Welcome back to Walking Away from Arcadia. This is Simon, and Victor is here as well. And today, we are going to talk about the game nobody likes, Dark Ages Fae. Well, I mean, to be fair, what everyone says when you bring it up is, it's a perfectly fine standalone game. Just keep it away from my Changeling the Dreaming. Or uh, they yeah. say it makes a really good prequel to Changeling the Lost. Yes, I've uh, I've had many interesting conversations about that. Which, to be fair, I mean, Dark Ages Fae has a magic system that's a little a little more evocative of Lost, and it has the whole court as season emphasis. There are some aesthetics that are similar. I think they probably pulled some stuff from Dark Ages Fae 4 Lost, but the actual themes of the game, of the Fae as expression of creativity, of being sort of weak against humanity and belief and the echoes and being in this very kind of terrified, vulnerable place in the world, being responsible for a lot of the best parts of the creativity of existence, Dark Ages Fae is very much a Changeling the Dreaming precursor in theme, in terms of where the Fae are positioned in the world. The other problem, and it's why a lot of people aren't a huge fan of it as a prequel piece, it does next to no actual callback to Changeling the Dreaming. There are no she-houses mentioned, you don't have solid kith invocations. It's like a pentuple down on misty remembrance you thought you knew your own history ha 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 the fey don't know anything have fun here's a completely different game but with enough core overarching themes that we're gonna insist it's still a prequel and it it really rubs a lot of fans the wrong way if you're just looking at the the system and some of the flavor text I've had a few people tell me that Graceful Wicked Masks is an obvious prequel to Changeling the Dreaming who don't think Dark Ages Fae is. And some of that comes from the way they built the system, because Dark Ages Fae, glamour and banality aren't things. All of the kiths are different. You only have three overarching types of Fae things. You've got the Firstborn. You've got the inanime who are fundamentally different from what they are in in changeling the dreaming and you've got changelings in the sense of beings who were exchanged for humans or humans who were exchanged for fey they're not fey living in human bodies in this setting so like straight off the bat the differences are substantial the thing that happened to me when I first read Dark Ages Fae. I read it and longtime Changeling the Dreaming fan. And I went, this is a beautiful game that has absolutely nothing to do with Changeling the Dreaming. Um, I didn't necessarily think of it as a connection to Lost, but I just thought this has nothing to do with Changeling the Dreaming, but it's a beautiful game. Sure, great, whatever. And then, Simon, you picked it up to say it was like four or five months after i read it totally independently and then we started talking after you had dived into it and the interesting thing about dark ages fey is when you really start digging into it you start to see the connections but it makes you feel a little bit like 
a crazy conspiracy theorist. Like when I talk about the Dark Ages Fae tie-ins to Changeling, sometimes I just want to put on an aluminum hat because it feels right. Because nothing is actually directly connected, but like we were talking before we started recording about how in Dark Ages Fae, if you have a holding or a freehold, imagine huge scare quotes around that word, in Dark Ages Fae, it can recover weaving or mists. And weaving and mists combined with echoes in Dark Ages Fae, echoes are what happens to a fairy when they're exposed to disbelief. Those three things in a very different sort of contorted configuration become glamour and banality, but glamour is still weaving. It's still shaping the world, which you do with cantrips. And banality is echoes, but also a lot of weaving. And where the actual line is between those things isn't exactly clear, but it's evident once you stare at it long enough that those things morphed into glamour and banality. And just reading through the book, there are things like that throughout. The Sundering has a very strong place in Dark Ages Fae, there's this prophecy of a new thing that's coming that I kind of think is the shattering, but they don't tell you it is. There isn't like a solid hook. It's just like, you know, probably. I don't know. Simon, what are the biggest sort of weird tinfoil hat moments you have with Dark Ages Fae? The thing that I really enjoy about Dark Ages Fae is that the court system is a four and a half tier system. You've got the seasonal courts, spring, summer, autumn, winter, and they don't line up with what they are in Lost, which has a very similar system, because you've got spring, and like all of the court differences circle around, what are we going to do about humans? Because they're a problem. The only court that actually likes humans is the autumn court, the court of death, and wealth and getting along with humans. The Winter Court is made up entirely of monsters who want to terrify humans, or eat them, or generally punish them. But, as warlike as they are towards humans, they actually like other fae a lot and think the War of the Seasons is stupid. Then you've got the Spring Court, who embrace change, but cyclical changes, not the changes humans are making. And you have the Summer Court, who are the Seely, basically. They're the court of ruling the world for its own good. I like that a central part of the game is orbiting and highlighting the main political conflict in the game. What do we do about humans? Because at the point the Dark Ages Fae timeline picks up, you've had this indeterminate but very long period of time where the Fae were warring with themselves for control over the world. There's a very strange story revolving around the Spring Court actually being the problem there. In the meantime, they've been so enveloped in unearthly um, concerns that humanity learned how to weave, or was taught how to weave, and has developed many, many ways to get along without the Fae, and their traditional oaths, and then all of these oaths start breaking, and then the Fae start paying attention to the real world again, and there's your modern conflict for Dark Ages Fae 
what do we do about this? What's going on? Having something as central as like the court divide being about that. Yeah, it's kind of taking the vampire stance of like, you got the Camarilla, the Anarchs, and the Sabbat, but it's not a bad thing to steal. It's a pretty strong point. It makes for a really good political dynamic in the game. The thing that strikes me about the courts is whenever I see fans talk about the courts, they're always like, spring and summer are the Sealy, autumn and winter are the Unsealy. It's kind of not true. Summer is definitely Sealy, winter is definitely Unsealy. Autumn and spring? don't really fall into that alignment at all because spring is all about brightness and potential and change. Yes, cyclical change, not like crazy radical change, but change. You know, like you said about the autumn court, it's death and money and liking humans. But the unseely are kind of presented as the nightmares, sort of, depending on which edition you're reading. But if you're talking about Changeling books from when Dark Ages Fae came out, you're kind of looking at that. So as with so many other things, in terms of how they break down and whether or not they map forward, they don't really map into anything that actually moves forward into the modern courts. You'd have to, like, take the four courts, put them in a blender, blitz them, and then sieve out the various parts and say, okay, this is Seelie and Unseelie. But the thing in Dark Ages Fae and the courts that I really love that isn't represented in the Changeling canon is the courtless. The Solstice Fae, and they've renounced the whole idea of a court. They've refused to go through the saning process of being saned to a specific court. And I really personally kind of like the idea that while the knowledge that allows a fae to sustain themselves without a court is not readily available in the modern era, it's still something that's possible. And maybe there are more fae out there without the traditional courts than people realize. I think it opens up a lot of interesting possibilities. And I think it really introduces a lot of fun social dynamics into the Dark Ages Fae setting. The other way you can end up with a courtless Fae is to have a failed seining. And seining is one of the things Dark Ages Fae went out of its way to develop, because Changeling doesn't really. Bumped into that again when I was prepping for this episode, but it's two solid pages of like talking about how this process works within society and i think there was a sidebar somewhere later in the book talking about the actual spell they use to do it it all highlights this really weird thing because you're not dealing with fae souls and human bodies the fae in dark ages fae don't grow or age the way you would expect and the sanding process is a major part of that, because especially for the firstborn, who are as close to true fae as I think we're going to get, because the inanime have a really weird flavor thing going on. But the firstborn believe themselves to be made purely out of mists, and therefore they're pure beings of thought and whim or whatever. The sanding process for them you take a sprite, which is this game's version of a chimera, 
you invest it with more and more and more reality. And then eventually, at some point, it transitions from being just a chimera to being something that has enough reality to exist without having to be fed from its creator. And then the choice comes up. Do you put this thing through the saning process to turn it into a proper firstborn? Or do you just kind of hope it goes back to being what it was? Well, and that brings up a really interesting sort of quirk. There's a snippet in Dark Ages Fae, and I, I tried to find it before this episode, and I wasn't able to find it, but I read it a while ago, and I've seen other people mention it, where Dark Ages Fae talks about the older Firstborn, the original Firstborn, that disappeared. And there's kind of... Uh, you know, a potential story implication there that those firstborn were the Tuaha Dadanan and the Fomorians, even though neither of those groups are name-dropped in Dark Ages Fae. But if you jump back and look at Graceful Wicked Masks, and if you do treat that as a further prequel, you know, farther back in time, there were Fae that spun themselves out of the wild, what would be the mists in Dark Ages Fae. They were the nobles. They were, you know, the, the entities that had walked through the gate into creation. But they could also create other fae. They could craft other fair folk. And the fair folk that were crafted, that didn't sort of spin themselves into existence, were commoners. And so having that kind of process exist in Dark Ages fae and have continued down the road creates some really interesting reflections if you think about the she and the commoners and the place they have and what's the line like if this nobility divide still exists and it's not really fleshed out in dark ages fey but clearly it manifests into something as we move into the modern what does that actually mean for saining and i think that falls into Cutting Room Floor, Dark Ages Fae only got one book. There wasn't word count to really deal with that dynamic. But I, I think it's something that would actually be a pretty dominant part of fairy society in this setting. The sprite maturing into a firstborn process also manifests in Changeling the Dreaming as of C20 because you have the Volpeltinger Kith having recently been Chimera which is interesting and kind of a callback to, I think, this. It might be. The Warpeltinger were originally in, I think it's the German World of Darkness book that was originally released in, in Germany. It was never actually released in English. So I don't know if it's a callback to Dark Ages Fae or if it's somewhat of a happenstance parallel. Because my understanding of... German Changeling book, and then World of Darkness France, I think is what it is. It wasn't a World of Darkness German book. It was, it was a German Changeling book, and then World of Darkness France, I think. And they pulled in the kith from those books into C20. As I recall, those books didn't get a lot of tight development and weren't all that consistent with the rest of the World of Darkness because they were licensed products. White Wolf didn't actually write them. They licensed local companies to write them. 
I haven't read a lot about those original texts that holds them in great regard, other than, hey, there are a couple interesting tidbits, but they were apparently not all that consistent. I'm looking at it now on Wikipedia, and it looks like the only German language books they got for Changeling were a core book, the three Immortal Eyes books, and something that doesn't have a parallel in English called Trolle Trauma Tiefe Wilde. That's the German Changeling book that they pulled a couple of the kits from. Well, let us take a quick look at the copyright information on this book. Okay, yeah, so that was written first by four years. So it couldn't be a callback. Okay, well, that answers that. <laughs> on the other side of the true fey coin, we have the inanime, who are sort of the same thing they are in the modern period, but not quite. They're just natural phenomenon. They're unbound natural phenomenon. They don't actually have an anchor. The myth in the book, anyway, in Dark Ages Fae, says that they were created by the firstborn sort of accidentally when they created the world, and they hated them, and they tried to kill them. And by trying to kill the inanime, they made humans. Because that all makes sense, right? That's one of the things that I did reread right before this episode, and I think that whole story is a coded retelling of the Exalted Fair Folk story. I read it, and it's like, oh, we crafted the world out of mists, which is just a little bit of self-aggrandizement. Everyone in the world of darkness does that. But if you look at the Fair Folk in Exalted, they did craft themselves out of the mist, and they do create a lot of other things. They do spawn things into reality when they die, as long as it's not death by cold iron. They are the reason that creation is so vital, as opposed to Autocathon that is slowly dying because it has no access to the wild. So there's kind of a parallel there. The inanime don't exactly show up in the same way in Exalted, although you could make one if you wanted, I suppose, with the assumption charms. This whole idea that, oh, we hate them and we want to reduce reality back to its starting point and start over, that's basically the early fair folk in Exalted. And then there's this thing in Dark Ages Fae called the Great Unleashing, where they just unleashed into the world, and that's where life came from. Well, okay, Misty Remembrance, unreliable narrator, no one gets it quite right. But that really kind of read like the Balorian Crusade to me. If you know Exalted, humans already existed when the Balorian Crusade happened. The timeline isn't exactly the same, but the big goalposts, of these two stories, while none of the details line up, the major emotional motivational goalposts are identical. So I think that whole story is meant to act as like the bridge between Graceful Wicked Masks and Changeling the Dreaming, but I'm not totally positive about that. You run into some trouble lining up the secret way and Dark Ages Fae and Graceful Wicked Masks, because the anime and Secret Way have their own creation story that has nothing to do with the one in, that the Cathane use, or that is extant in 
Dark Ages Fae in secret way. The world exists. Nobody really cares why. And then the inanime accidentally bring on the sundering and the shattering by a faction within them teaching humans how to manipulate their environments. And then there's this whole war between different inanime factions over whether or not that was okay and trying to protect the humans versus trying to wipe them out before they teach other humans. And by the end of it, the inanime shattering has already happened. They're all slammed back into their anchors. None of that really lines up with Dark Ages Fae, except in the broadest strokes, because the War of Seasons is fundamentally about, well, what do we do with humans now that somebody taught them how to weave? But in the modern period, the inanime are said to have gone through the shattering before any of the other Fae. And in Dark Ages Fae, they're still bumping around, and it's the timeline for Dark Ages Fae puts it pretty solidly in the Sundering. So... It's one of those points you have to finesse if you're going to try to put these two and a half, three things together. (laughs) The other problem I have is when you read the backstory in Dark Ages Fae, and it's talking about the Firstborn having accidentally created the inanime, there are a couple places where it very explicitly talks about the inanime being in something. It does kind of have that inanime emerged from reality, but... It basically says if the firstborn pick up a thing and there isn't an inanime in it yet, they can reduce it back to mists. But if there's an inanime in it, they can't impact it. They can't unweave it. And I read that, and like you said, the inanime are kind of unbound, untethered natural phenomenon. But the way they're described in the actual backstory, to me at least, reads much more like The Secret Way And I can't totally reconcile that in my head because it's not what they are in Dark Ages Fae. So I'm I'm not quite sure how all that comes together. The death mechanic for the game is fundamentally the same as any other World of Darkness game. You take a critical amount of damage and you die. Unless you're in an anime. If you're in an anime, you're forced inactive. You die. You go into a coma sort of a thing. And when your body is exposed to its element again, you come back to life. You're just, in a real way, immortal. In a way that nobody else in this game is. The firstborn take critical damage and die. Changelings are humans. They take critical damage and die. In anime, don't. Not if they're a common element. The kind of weird immortality of the inanime is one of the things that does kind of carry forward into modern changeling because in modern changeling especially in c20 the dynamic with husks is you build a husk and it has a full health track it is systematically speaking just as durable as anyone else and if it's destroyed eh, you get thrown back into your anchor you take some banality you build a new husk I mean, that's it. Like, in C20, there's no Salamnance for taking what would be full lethal damage for anyone else. Salamnance is is a much more substantial thing, damaging your anchor, etc. No, it's just... No, you you took full lethal damage. All right, back to your anchor. 
move on with your life. And I actually think you don't take banality unless you intentionally destroy your own body to be able to get back to your anchor. The act of conscious self-destruction is banal. But if someone else does it, you're fine. I mean, there is a very similar kind of the power scale of that is unprecedented in the world of darkness, at least where player characters are concerned. Yes, yes, very well. But your companion saw the fairy. Why? Oh, I know why. There was something very peculiar about him which enabled him to see fairies. Well, can you not use that somehow? Strange considered this. I do not see how. It is mere chance, like one man having a blue eye and another brown. He was silent a moment, musing. But then again, perhaps not. Perhaps you are right. It is not such a very outlandish notion, when you come to consider it. Think of the Ariats. Some of them were the fairies' near neighbors in wildness and madness. Think of Ralph Stokesy and his fairy servant, Calm Tom Blue. When Stokesy was a young man, there was scarcely anything to choose between them. Perhaps I am too tame, too domestic a magician. But how does one work up a little madness? We already talked a little bit about how there's no glamour, there's no banality. There are no arts. Instead, you have dominions, which are just broad, broad categories, more like spheres, but much more irrational than spheres. You build cantrips, and those give you distinct, discrete effects you can do over and over again with minimal difficulty, basically rotes. Or, if you find yourself in a tough spot and you know your dominion lets you, say, create light, you just don't have a cantrip that does it, you can unleash, which is kind of like unleashing in, in C20, except you can unleash to create any effect within your dominion, you can't use it to emulate things that should be in other dominions unless you have that dominion. So it's a little bit dreaming as of C20 lets you emulate cantrips you don't know as long as they're in your art. But the thing where it gets really weird is unleashing recharges your mists. You get a point of mists back for every time you unleash. Freeholds pretty much don't matter at this point. Yeah, and... Simon and I have talked about this a fair bit. The only thing that weaving does for you is control out of control unleashings. So you're walking along, you have your mists, you do a bunch of cantrips. Oh no, I need mists. I'll just move to unleashing. Well, some unleashings went out of hand. Oh, I used up some weaving. Well, I bet, I guess now that I've like really tapped deep into my resources, I guess I should go spend a couple nights in a holding, replenish some weaving, and that'll cover me for a month or so until I've actually hit this rock bottom again. Like, the power dynamics are just bizarre. The really weird thing is, what the hell is a weaving freehold? Like, it's a, it's, it's a way you construct a freehold. They either make mists, make weaving, or make both. How does that work? Like the the cosmological like 
placement of the real world in whatever Dark Ages Fae is going to do with the spirit world didn't really happen, so we, you don't know. And in that lack, like I just sucked the rest of the world of darkness into it, and then what the hell is weaving? Especially since you can get it back another way, and that way completely revolves around humans. The idea of getting weaving back from a holding doesn't make any sense to me at all. I mean, the idea of getting weaving back from humans makes total sense. And, you know, that process and that need to have some kind of relationship with humanity, if that had been really heavily emphasized, I think that would have fed into what eventually becomes epiphanies. Because it is very clear that the Fae do not need humanity for their magic when they're in pre-changeling state and pre-like modern changeling state, even changelings in Dark Ages Fae, the humans that grew up around fairies or the fairies that were adopted out to humans and so were kind of impacted by humanity. Like even they don't really need humans to make their magic work. But if weaving had really tripled down on being a precursor to epiphany, I think that could have been really interesting. I didn't really get that, though. No, not really. Getting weaving back from humans, there's a, a background trade. Not everybody's going to take it, because it's a background trade. Called Oaths, and Oaths in Dark Ages Fae are your deals with humans, basically. There are a couple of like world-changing Oaths, and... Mostly the game kind of agrees with itself that this is not a thing that you can do as of Dark Ages Fae. And then there's this lower tier of oaths that are culture or society shaping oaths that you might be able to pull off, but you probably can't. And then there's this like rock bottom easiest level of oaths where you've made deals with a human or a family. And the way these work is it's two-tiered. Either you replenish weaving by doing this thing, and you have a task that you must fulfill for the subject of your oath, the family, the individual, the village, whoever. And then they have a task they have to fulfill. So leaving cream out, or putting horseshoes over the doors, but making sure they're up. Or many, many folk tale things that people did could qualify as the human side of the oath, up to and including human sacrifice. When the humans do their thing for you, you get your point of weaving back. The other use you have for oaths is they deflect echoes. It's kind of a mirror of sprites, because sprites can be called on to give you more mists, because there aren't enough ways to get mists easily in this game. Oaths you can use to diffuse the power of an echo, so when you're affected by an echo, you can add, I think it's your number of dots as dice, but you can only do that once per game session or something like that. So reflecting your connection to the dreaming, you can pull power out of your sprites. Reflecting your connection to humanity, you can more easily survive disbelief if you have good ties to humanity. So you can, I, I think it makes sense that Weaving and oaths were meant to turn into epiphanies, but I agree they didn't quite get there. For me, that interpretation 
really pulls forward from Graceful Wicked Masks to the modern very nicely because in Graceful Wicked Masks, you have all these different feeding mechanisms, feeding charms that let you draw essence out of all sorts of corners of reality. You can draw it out of the land, you can draw it out of people, you can draw it out of the dead, although that was less common. But if you wanted Gossamer, which was this super special form of energy that came out of the dreams of humans that could allow a fair folk to create something with real substance, with real enduring existence, then you had to get Gossamer from humanity. If you think about Gossamer as kind of becoming weaving and the raw stuff of the wild, just that essence as becoming mists, then in Graceful Wicked Masks, the fair folk were just horrific parasites. But slowly they had this like hook that some fair folk were becoming obsessed with reality as opposed to hating it and becoming a little addicted to it and starting to establish relationships that would allow them to actually sustainably interact with it. And in my head, it makes sense that humanity, after reaching a certain point where it's like, I really don't want to be fed on by you anymore. I don't want you to just keep eating me and my children. Can we come to an agreement? And there'd be a way to make that process sustainable. Oaths make sense for that. Hey, if you do this thing, if we make this agreement, I can get a little bit of gossamer from you. It won't undo you completely. Now, if you break that agreement, this is all going to go sideways as all the fairy tales, you know, have that happen. Whereas you still need that sort of raw, creative, if ephemeral energy of mists or essence, and that you get from actual things of fairy, like sprites. So I like the idea of that. And then when mists and weaving all merge together into modern glamour, you would get more modern epiphanies. And the sort of breakdown between musing and ravaging, and are these odes even being upheld? Who knows? Nobody really remembers them. And you get the whole mess of the modern human fey relationship, which is intentionally kind of a wreck. But that's one of the things where I actually don't feel too tinfoil hatty about seeing that path forward. It It's there. It's just in actually playing the game, none of it is necessary. And so I wish it had just been more emphasized and needed as opposed to if you're just kind of reading it from a literary standpoint oh i can see these connections yeah i didn't realize it until we'd been playing for quite a while using the modified dark ages phase system we've been using nobody ever wanted to recharge weaving by like month six i was like there's got to be a reason for this and i went back and read the booking and i was like right because it's useless. That's a shame. That is really unfortunate. I wish that weaving had been required, like, to build cantrips or even to do, like, if they'd had more of a chimerical wild breakdown. And if you wanted to do something weird, if you wanted to impact the real world, you needed a little bit of weaving. I think it would have made it a lot more vital like C20 and like Changeling Second, the roles for doing cantrips are bizarre and skill-based, which is 
just kind of a pain in the ass and if you're not one of those people who writes everything on your character sheet that you're going to use we ended up passing around the dark ages Book a lot to figure out what the roles were for things we finally truncated doing any cantrip as you roll your weaving which makes it a little more useful but only as a static quality not as i spent a point to do this I like the idea of rolling weaving because it makes you want to level it, but I agree it it doesn't quite seem like it goes far enough. In the next chapter of our story, I think I'm going to let players opt to spend a point of weaving instead of getting a point of nightmare just to give it something to do because Dark Ages Fae doesn't use nightmare, but we are, and having... A healthy relationship with humanity is one of the things that helps you manage your nightmare in C20. That is true. That would make a lot of sense. I think if you do that, and I don't know if any of your characters have holding, maybe don't do the weaving from holding thing. Oh yeah, we haven't been doing that, and none of our characters have any holdings because none of them do downtime actions (laughs) oh i wouldn't know anything about players that refuse to do downtime actions no storyteller has ever had that complaint in their life when the girl was alone the mannequin came again for the third time and said what will you give me if i spin the straw for you this time also I have nothing left that I could give, answered the girl. Then promise me, if you should become queen, your first child. Who knows whether that will ever happen, thought the miller's daughter. And not knowing how else to help herself in this strait, she promised the mannequin what he wanted. And for that he once more spanned the straw into gold. And when the king came in the morning and found all as he had wished, he took her in marriage and the pretty miller's daughter became a queen. A year after, she had a beautiful child, and she never gave a thought to the mannequin. But suddenly, he came into her room and said, Now give me what you promised. The queen was horror-struck, and offered the mannequin all the riches of the kingdom, if he would leave her the child. But the mannequin said, No, something that is living is dearer to me than all the treasures in the world. Then the queen began to weep and cry, so that the mannequin pitied her. I will give you three days' time, said he. If by that time you find out my name, then shall you keep your child. So the queen thought the whole night of all the names that she had ever heard, and she sent a messenger over the country to inquire far and wide for any other names that there might be. When the mannequin came the next day, she began with Casper, Melchior, Balthazar, and said all the names she knew one after another, but to every one the little man said, That is not my name. On the second day, she had inquiries made in the neighborhood as to the names of the people there, and she repeated to the mannequin the most uncommon and curious. Perhaps her name is Short Ribs, or Sheepshanks, or Laceleg. But he always answered, That is not my name. On the third day, the messenger came back again and said, I have not been able to find a single new name. But as I came to a high mountain at the end of the forest, where the fox and the hare bid each other good night, there I saw a little house, and before the house a fire was burning, 
and round about the fire, quite a ridiculous little man was jumping. He hopped upon one leg and shouted, "'Today I bake, tomorrow brew. The next I'll have the young queen's child. How glad am I that no one knew that Rumpelstiltskin I am styled.' You may think how glad the queen was she heard the name. And when soon afterwards the little man came in and asked, Now, Mistress Queen, what is my name? At first she said, Is your name Conrad? No. Is your name Harry? No. Perhaps your name is Rumpelstiltskin. The devil has told you that. The devil has told you that cried the little man, and in his anger he plunged his right foot so deep into the earth that his whole leg went in, and then in rage he pulled at his left leg so hard with both hands that he tore himself in two. Since we pretty much agree that Dark Ages Fae is meant to take place during the Sundering, there's this whole other point of the story that happens after Dark Ages Fae, but before modern changeling, in the Shattering and in the War of the Trees, and in some early interregnum events. What do you think is interesting about those things? Oh, I mean, I think everything is interesting about those things because it's the interregnum and i love the interregnum when i read dark ages fae the first time and it gets into the whole war of the seasons thing and they're in a truce they're in a ceasefire and they know that the truce is going to end because they see did that whole fae have weird relationship with time thing and so they remember this thing that hasn't happened yet, which is the end of their ceasefire. But the weird thing is none of them know what's going to happen after that. They just know the ceasefire is going to stop. And for me, that's the shattering. Like, they can all hear it coming, just racing at them. But none of them know what it's going to be. They think their war is going to break out again. Well, psych. <laughs> no, that's not what's happening. Your war with humanity will just be beginning. And I I kind of like the way they framed that. You know, like with so many other things in Dark Ages Fae, you have to read it a few times. And you have to really think about everything in a very removed manner. But it's there, and it's it's kind of interesting the way they look at this thing. And a lot of them think oh, this is going to happen and we're going to get to finish this war and I'm finally going to get, you know, our court is going to win. They're going to have the opportunity to win again. And I actually kind of think in that respect, Dark Ages Fae does a better job of capturing kind of that constant eschatological thinking that humans fall into. And I, I like the idea of that, like the, oh, before the shattering, there was all of this end times kind of wackiness but a lot of the fae were looking forward to it and a lot of the fae dreaded it and oh we're here again with the long winter and oh during the interregnum everyone thought that about that long winter i like that take on the end times themes in the world of darkness much more than the and gehenna is here now so 
I kind of think all of those constructions are really fascinating. Well, you really kind of get into wondering about and what I'd love to play through eventually with the right players. Simon's kind of getting to do this, and I'm jealous. Is that, okay, we have Dark Ages Fae, and I'm a firstborn, but that could mean anything. You know, maybe I have antlers. Maybe I have all of these other major features. Maybe I look like an animal. Who knows what I am? I'm very unbound in that respect. At some point, the firstborn becomes a she. And especially now that we have the autumn she Arcadian she divide and the changeling way, you know, what is what does that mean exactly? You know, what would it actually mean to play through the process of having been firstborn and changelings and maybe sprites that were like I could even see a whole story where there were sprites frantically trying to get saned because the world was becoming banal and undoing them. And a bunch of them, you know, went through that process all at once or convinced humans to weave them and they became the commoners. But then the Shi are all very similar. And where did these houses come from? Especially now with modern C20, here's this very interesting thing with Liam and the church and how how did that all come together? I, I think that would be a really amazing story to inspect especially thinking about like liam during the reformation playing an all liam game during the protestant reformation would be chaotic and fascinating and yeah, still that would be great because in um in dark ages fey one of the hooks they have into the church is baptism and profession of faith kills changelings it just absolutely wipes out whatever fey potential they had, and they become pure, normal mortals from that point on forever. And that is a major incentive for them to infiltrate and neutralize the church. Well, but that also creates an interesting question, because would that happen with modern changelings? I mean, Dark Ages fey changelings are still kind of just fey fey. They still are a member of these much broader courts. They still use this much wilder magic as opposed to modern changelings who are like, no, there's a there's a normal human here. I go through cycles of banality. I can just imagine being the first changeling that went through a baptism and was not totally destroyed. Like maybe it pushed you into a banality coma, but you were all ready to cease to be and then one year, five year, maybe 10 years later, boom, you go through a second chrysalis and realize, oh, I could survive that well enough and I could get in there and I could make the world a little bit safer for us from inside that story. Like that would be so interesting to play through that realization and then to like leapfrog forward in time and have the characters build the myths about Liam and watch those myths become truth as Remembrance just wipes away the fact that the Fae made that story up at some point. I mean, that would be so weird to play with experienced changeling players. But it would be so good, too. And there are other stories in... The, the modern changeling interpretation of the shattering 
that go along those lines. I know you're a particular fan of the story about the invention of steel. I am a big fan of that story. Anyone who has read my Order of the Whitesmiths post on our blog of House Rules will kind of see how central that story is to the way I view House Dougal. For anyone that doesn't know about this story, that maybe hasn't read the the books of many, many she-word count, House Dougal is founded around Lord Dougal at the height of cold iron being a major problem, basically the idea being the Iron Age. Lord Dougal took iron and smithed it into steel, and it took just an unbearably insane will, and he did major damage to himself doing that and sort of inflicted the ongoing deformity curse on his house because he had to take on so much of what was toxic about that iron to turn it into steel. But as soon as steel was invented, humans stopped using cold iron left and right, because why would they? Steel was better, and steel didn't impact the fey the way cold iron did. And I just, I love that story. I love what he did to himself to make that happen. I love that it's about something that isn't self-aggrandizing, but is legitimately self-sacrificing. And you don't find that with the she very often. The idea of playing through maybe even that process. I mean, steel is a little bit older than, say, the Reformation. But really playing through, let's say, the spreading of the story of steel, the spreading of steel throughout the world as replacing cold iron and having Fay be a major part of that as, a, as an act of self-preservation... One of the complaints about Dark Ages Fae is that none of the she-houses show up in it. None of them. I almost kind of love the idea that the houses aren't in Dark Ages Fae because they didn't exist. What if all of the houses are secretly a creation of the Interregnum? And all the Arcadian she who come back and are members of these houses are members of those houses because they have to get stuck in those stories as part of diminishing themselves and becoming changelings, even Arcadian changelings. They have to take on more concrete stories than they were required to have deeper in the dreaming. And so they become embodiments of these stories the fairies have told themselves about their epic mythic pasts, and it becomes a reality. Playing through the actual foundings that lead to those stories would be screwy. I really like the, the Dougal story because House Dougal continued to exist throughout the Interregnum until the Resurgence War, just not with any she in charge. All the she who stayed behind with Lord Dougal were Arcadian she changelings, and they eventually died. But the house continued to exist among commoners as a kind of craftsman's guild sort of a thing. And if you're going with the angle that spreading steel is a major tentpole for changelings because it helps them protect themselves, then you could run an entire game of Dougal guildsmen running around the world selling people steel and trying to convince them that the knowledge of how to make steel is something they should try to get. And doing the subtle game where you're not giving things to people, which makes them want it. I think that would be really fun, too. I, I think that would be a lot of fun. I mean, 
the timing for that is weird because steel as a technology is much older but it's kind of some parts of the world oh yeah i mean absolutely but that's also one of those things where i'm like oh i know it's older than that but why let reality get in the way of a good story Mm -hmm. the she houses being a, a modern invention is something that doesn't really mesh with the modern changeling canon very well but it makes the houses make a lot more sense because medieval houses were literally houses they were collections of people around a location i don't see why the fey houses would be different from that unless you had a plot reason like house dougal being the thing that grew out of dougal's household for me, it's also kind of loving the amount of Fey history that the Fey just tell themselves. I mean, I wish that Dark Ages Fey hadn't gone into that concept quite as completely as it did. I like there being a little bit more of a solid outline of the canon for you to go, oh, I recognize that. And it, it takes a little too much work to do that with Dark Ages Fey. But I love the fact that you never ever know any tidbit of fairy history you don't know it i mean you can have books and books and books and books on it and it doesn't matter none of it's true as written the only thing you know is it is not exactly what you have in front of you you know that absolutely but you don't know how off it is is it a little off is it only like the tentpole occasional similarities like you know, the Graceful Wicked Masks, Balorian Crusade to Great Unleashing kind of similar. You're not certain. And I love that about Changeling. Because I think it's a great model for us to look at our own preconceptions and how trapped in our own assumptions we get. Because the Fae are just a huge exaggeration of that. So the fact that I love that model is really what makes me think that would be fun to play with. I don't know that I'd ever shift my overall changeling assumption to play that way, but I could see using it for one good chronicle that sort of spanned through the interregnum. We're playing because we started in a Dark Ages phase system coming into the modern period. We're playing with fundamentally kithless changelings and talking to Victor a couple of weeks ago about like how to use the seemings in that context because there are no seemings in dark ages fey we came well victor came up with the idea and i expanded on it but the idea that you could play a progressive changeling game where you start right after the shattering with a more fluid create a kith kind of system for your characters and what they make from there out defines what they are you have a brief period of like fluid identity as a child that turns into healthy identity as an adult that turns into decrepit identity because you don't get this whole aging thing and oh god why are you getting old and weak the idea that you go through many many cycles of limitless potential followed by discrete channeled potential followed by being somewhat parasitic and then finally towards the end of the interregnum you don't have that potential anymore. You're just born into a kith. And using the things you did in your past lives and maybe, you know, the societies you participated in and helped form becoming the kiths. I think it would be a really fun game to play. It's not the game we're playing right now, 
but I kind of wish it was. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the curse of the long-form game. A long-form game always defined by the ideas you had when you started the game. And you can, you know, maneuver them around and grow, but you can't, like, at year two, when you're like, oh my god, I want to be growing, you know, a bonsai tree, and, oh, I'm I'm not growing a bonsai tree, I'm growing a rosemary shrub, because that's what I planted. And it's inevitably why people end up doing serial long-form games. <laughs> or even running a couple in parallel, but I've, I've had that same experience. As he followed the dogs, he lost his companions, and whilst he listened to the hounds, he heard the cry of other hounds, a cry different from his own, and coming from the opposite direction. And he beheld a glade in the wood, forming a level plain, and his dogs came to the edge of that glade, he saw a stag before the other dogs, and lo, as it reached the middle of the glade, the dogs that followed the stag overtook it and brought it down. Then looked he at the color of the dogs, staying not to look at the stag, and of all of the hounds that he had seen in the world, he had never seen any that were like unto these, for their hair was of a brilliant shining white, and their ears were red. And as the whiteness of their bodies shone, so did the redness of their ears glisten. And he came towards the dogs, and he drove away those that had brought down the stag, and he set his own dogs upon it. And as he was setting his dogs, he saw a horseman coming toward him, upon a large, light gray steed, and with a hunting horn round his neck, clad in garments of gray woolen in the fashion of a hunting garb. And the horseman drew near and spoke unto him thus. Chieftain, said he, I know who thou art, and I greet thee not. Peradventure, said Poich, thou art of such dignity that thou shouldst not do so. Verily, answered he, it is not my dignity that prevents me. What is it then, O chieftain, asked he, by heaven? It is by reason of thine own ignorance and want of courtesy. What discourtesy, chieftain, hast thou seen in me? Greater discourtesy than I never saw in man, said he, than to drive away the dogs that were killing the stag and to set upon thine own. This was discourteous, and though I may not be revenged upon thee, yet I declare to heaven that I will do thee more dishonor than the value of one hundred stags. O chieftain, he replied, if I have done ill, I will redeem thy friendship. How wilt thou redeem it? According to thy dignity. Maybe, but I know not who thou art. A crowned king am I in the land whence I come. Lord, said he, may the day prosper with thee, and from what land comest thou? From Amun, answered he, and Arwun, king of Anun, am I. Lord, said he, how may I gain thy friendship? After this manner mayest thou, he said. I shall send thee to Anun in my stead. I will give thee the fairest lady thou didst ever behold to be thy companion. 
I will put my form and semblance upon thee, so that not a page of the chamber, nor an officer, nor any other man that has always followed me shall know that it is not I. And this shall be for the space of a year from tomorrow, and then we will meet in this place. One year from this night is the time fixed between him and me that we should meet at the ford. Be thou there in my likeness. And with one stroke that thou givest him, he shall yet not live. The real events that happened during the Interregnum is also the discovery by Europeans of the New World. <laughs> Other people knew about it first. People who may have been there. And the changelings then fleeing the old world for the new and discovering that they're not alone in this place either and that there are other proper fae there would be super interesting having the the smaller, more diminished changelings having to cope with being face-to-face -face with what they don't remember being anymore. Yeah, I kind of love that idea. I, and again, this is one of those stories that I'm not quite sure how I would thread it, but to me, the shattering in the New World was absolutely brought about by European Fae showing up. Or I should say Europeans showing up, but really Europeans bringing their fey. There's this thing in the Changeling canon where the Cathane came before European humans on trods just to, you know, clear the air. I know that is written in books. At my table, that, that, that's not a thing that happened. I, I hate all of the implications of that and what that means. So I always run it as though the Cathane came over with humans, with the people that believed in them. And that really would have been the shattering for, you know, Fae in the New World. And so there's this experience where you have a very, like, old-school Dantain dynamic going on, except the Cathane aren't absolute Dantain. They're just, in a lot of ways, harbingers of banality for these native Fae, because they are ultimately very colonialist. And they're wrapped up now in colonial stories, and I, I don't know how I would tell this story, but I think it would be really interesting to run a game with Cathane that didn't want to do that, but were trapped in those stories and had to come to terms with the memories of what happened to them when Echoes hit that point and watching it happen to other Fae and deciding what are you going to do about it. But that story could go from interestingly introspective to terrible with one bad player. <laughs> I keep meaning to bring this point up, but I keep forgetting to. Dark Ages Fae has this weird aside about the Fae who disguise themselves actively with mists too much. And it's kind of a repeating theme because the war they were involved in that brought about the Sundering is meant to be another one of these disengaged from the real world using too much mists things. But the aside in Dark Ages Fae about Fae who just go off into the mists is 
we never hear from them again, and some Fae think that's a good way to go, and other Fae just think they're dead. That paints a really strange picture of what the she thought they were doing when they were going back to Arcadia, or coming out of Arcadia. Yeah, that also gets into the Misty Remembrance thing, where... Did that actually look anything like how it's depicted in Changeling the Dreaming? I don't know. I've always had a hard time parsing the, everybody's running for the same portal. What? I, it just, it doesn't play in my mind. As, as with most things, Faye history, I feel like it's a simplified symbol of what was a much more complicated, drawn out process. But you know, you're right. That does paint a really weird picture. There was probably some sort of submerging back into the mists, even if it wasn't everybody running for that one portal, the way it's written in C20. It kind of makes me wonder if the division between, oh, that's a great way to go, and oh no, you're just dead, was kind of the division between noble and commoner. Like, maybe the commoners the firstborn who were young and had only been, you know, reshaped from sprites very recently and maybe changelings as well. Maybe they don't think subsuming back into the mists is such a great thing because they were very recently desperately grabbing at names to give themselves enough permanence that they could exist. And so they're kind of defined in that moment by the very recent frantic desire to exist. Whereas very, very old, powerful firstborn who became the she are like no no i miss the mists i have romantic ideas about what it means to re-enter eternal potential you know that to me that kind of lines up pretty nicely with who went running off into the dreaming and who stuck around and it aligns with what happened to shaped in graceful wicked masks who went off into the wild it's, yeah oh those it's poor oh <laughs> it's interesting taking like all three of the different changeling periods and like weighing them against each other and being like graceful wicked masks and dark ages Faye agree on this point maybe dreaming's off i don't know dreaming and graceful wicked masks are on on this point so i guess dark ages Faye is off here uh yeah that's mom said no <laughs> i'm asking dad <laughs> wow you have just summed up the perfect metaphor for the entire Changeling canon. Mom said no, I'm asking Dad. <laughs> that completely is explains how I navigate Changeling books. <laughs> the reason I brought that whole thing up was when the European Changelings come to the New World and they meet the first people, Faye, who eventually become Nunahi Changelings, or maybe don't, there's that lack of story there. Did all of the first people spirits stay behind, or did some of them run for the hills? How did that happen? What did that look like? What did that mean for everybody who was present? That is a huge hole in the story. It's kind of, sort of, handled with a Menahune in C20, not in a way that I love, but the story of the shattering that they wrote for the Menahune is, what do you mean shattering? You're silly. That's not going to come to Hawaii. And then the shattering happens overnight and no one has the time to run. And 
in the context of an island, as weird as that story is, it at least sort of makes logistic sense. In terms of the slow, creeping banality making its way across America right in time with Manifest Destiny, no, that, I mean, that's not that story. That's a different story. So there really should be some sort of acknowledgement of did anyone turn tail and run? Especially if you bring in the broader context of World of Darkness canon, because the Dream Speaker, whose name eludes me at the moment, who was a member of the first cabal in Europe, came from North America, traveled to Europe through the Umbra to take part in the founding of the traditions. And when everything went sideways, it's, it's pretty universally stated that he went, oh, screw all of you. This is awful. I am going back home and I am warning my people about what is coming. And if he did that, and with the relationship the Nunyahi are shown as having with their magical and spiritual leaders of the human communities they were connected to, you better believe they would have gotten that advanced warning. So what did happen there? It, that's, that's a big missing story. Even in the context of the Menahune, there's a Hawaiian god who is essentially the god of possession, and she's one of Pele's sisters. Like, Pele's their primary primary deity, but the changeling way was brought to Hawaii by white changelings. Why would that ever be? No. No, I'm... I'm I'm sorry. I'm I'm just even in the context of the changeling canon, I know that's written, I don't even care because they're described as being cosmologically the same as the Nunyahi. We're going to set aside the problems with that cuz that is a big mess of these two groups shouldn't be put in the same bucket, but whatever. If we do put them in the same bucket, the Nunyahi changeling way is really described as a much older, longer, slow relationship-building process with the spiritual leaders of the cultures they were connected to. And it very clearly created a different symbiosis than what the Cathane have. Close. It's not totally off the deep end different. It's related, but it is not identical. Again, setting aside that, like, maybe it shouldn't have been different for the sake of exoticness. Just talking in canon terms. It's different. It's distinct. So why are we crediting Cathane with bringing that knowledge? I, I just... Mm -hmm. I can't even parse that. <laughs> right. So I like the idea that the shattering in Europe reflected the breaking of specific oaths and the coming of science and the coming of the church and all of that that's very european that suits what americans who are descended from europeans culturally feel by and large i like the idea that the shattering in north america was about the coming of the european settlers and how that fucked everything up for the native americans that is a culturally traumatic moment I feel probably worse than the one the Shattering was supposed to represent in Europe, but people might disagree with me on that. I think that is an appropriate sort of like narrative 
bow to put on that because they're both sort of having the same emotional resonance. And then I think they just totally dropped the ball with Hawaii because their story is, and then the shattering happened, we're done now. When, like, when you look at the history of Hawaii and you look at what the Menahune are supposed to be, there are a couple of different places you could put the shattering, but they're all pretty close chronologically. You could put them at the introduction of white people, make it like the Native American one, make it about white people wrecking everything, because that's what white people do. You could make it about the unification of Hawaii under King Kamehameha, because that was a culturally traumatic moment that involved the deaths of a huge number of Hawaiians. Or you could make it about the cultural like genocide that his descendants oversaw, the two of them, anyway where they had a very similar thing to the Native Americans going on, where suddenly people were pushed into regional schools that didn't allow them to speak Hawaiian and didn't allow many, many expressions of their culture. And, like, there's a really strong Hawaiian culture reclamation movement in Hawaii that wouldn't be there if this sort of thing didn't happen. There are lots of really appropriate things you could pin the shattering on there, but it's just sort of a some dude brought an iron nail thing. So that's if you go with C20, where C20 writes the Menahune as being very Hawaiian, very, very Hawaiian. And there's even a reference to, oh, they're related to the Polynesian fae that came to Hawaii. There's this framing that they're they're distinct. If you go back and read the Immortal Eyes book, where the Menahune were originally written up, they're not written that way. They're Polynesian fae. They are described as being Maori. They are described in the context of all of the cultures. The story in the initial write-up, the, the write-up of their families, kiths, I mean, none of the above, their groups are almost castes. There's actually a line in one of the books that talks about the Menahune where they're all technically the same kith. It's just a different kind of breakdown, even though systematically each group is identical to kith. So I, I don't totally know what's going on there. You know, in the original book, they're expressed in terms of all of Polynesia. Even though they have this same trauma cut off from the dreaming dynamic, which is narratively built around the Native American experience. So I think that's part of why in C20 they moved them to just being Hawaiian, because I think someone probably recognized that having this systematic thing built in, which is built in and explained as victims of colonialism, is a little weird for all of Polynesia, at the very least inconsistent in terms of colonial experience. It's still hard to just totally retcon and ignore that that was their original framing. To step back a little bit and think about like interregnum and and advancement and development of this culture, I think there's a really compelling story to be told about their mythic age being the great traveling of the waters, the spaces in between, and bringing humans with them. Because the way the spirit and land and umbra and fairy spaces are described in the mythic era, when the Polynesian people were sailing, the oceans would have all been the deep spirit wilds. I mean, they would have been the wilds in the world of darkness. But there are these people wandering into that 
with the Fae in theory guiding them or teaching them how to survive in those places. And the implications of that are just far less antagonistic than the Fae in almost any other setting. I mean, that's that's more symbiotic than even the the various groups of the Nunyahi nations are described as being. And I think you could tell a really compelling, different, interesting story thinking about the gossamer to weaving path and what does mana really end up being an expression of and what is this relationship and what did their gold oaths look like and thinking through that process and getting to the interregnum and saying let's just like think about getting to that place and what would dark ages fey polynesia really look like and then build a shattering around what what happened to that what broke that I kind of love the idea of, like, taking colonialism out of at least one non-European phase story. And I feel like there's potential there. There's a really solid potential there, because if we're going with Mana is the the juice for the Menahune, which feels appropriate, that the... The Polynesian taboo system and the Hawaiian kapu system all revolve around preserving the proper flow of mana. The ali'i get their mana from their ancestors, kind of a thing. And so many of the things that are forbidden by kapu are really framed around inappropriately gaining mana. And there's this moment in the history of Hawaii as a uh, as a kingdom where king kamehameha and his sisters maybe it was his wife and his sisters got together and ate food together which is a major breach of kapu and they ate many foods that were forbidden by kapu to be eaten or forbidden for women to eat or forbidden for men to eat in the context of dark ages fey and in the context of changeling King Kamehameha was an Ali'i. He would be a Menahune in the system they made for Changeling. He is breaking the oaths. That's a really good place to put the shattering for them. Yeah, and it it's a place to put the shattering that's about them. I mean, I I really like stories that are about the main characters of the story, like primally deeply about the main characters of the story so i of all the the places to think about the shattering i i like that one i also think that's an interesting place to put the menahune shattering because that's a uniquely hawaiian moment and that could be played as a moment that separates the menahune from the rest of the polynesian fey and then you could have different shattering moments that happened for the Maori and for the other, you know, Polynesian cultures because, you know, Polynesia is made up of all of these islands. You could end up telling really deeply regional stories using a, you know, much broader Polynesian set of dreaming spirits than just the Menahune, that the Menahune are a branch of. And I think it would even just make the Hawaiian Fae themselves more interesting having that underneath them and behind them to frame their story. 
and there's a whole other argument to be had about whether the Menahune should be broken up into castes rather than kiths because it's a very, very strange framing, but it's kind of getting away from the interregnum. Hiaka and company continued their climb until reaching Waiyoloma, but as they were going, the legions of disembodied spirits that inhabited that place took notice, and they quickly assembled themselves to attack the travelers. The whirlwind forms of those apparitions of Waiyoloma rose up, and the leaves were scattered, the dust swirled, and the birds were sent fluttering by the force of the wind. Oh, this force raging through the leaves is terrible, said Wahine Oma'o to her companion, Hiaka. Yes, this is a storm. This host of spirits, the myriad, the legion, and the multitudes of spirits here have seen us and those supernaturals have risen up to battle us. Let us proceed so the specters of Waiyoloma can make their strike. As they moved along, they were caught up in the incredibly powerful gyre of the whirlwind. If Hiaka had not possessed her magical form, and if she had not bestowed a fragment of her powers upon her dear friend, they would have been blown away like leaves of uki grass by the phantoms of Waiyoloma. But because of Hiaka's great power, the combined strength of those disembodied spirits was nothing but a plaything to the lightning-skirted beauty of Kilauea. These are some of mine and Simon's somewhat rambling thoughts about... Half Dark Ages Fae, but more the weird sort of pathway you end up taking from Dark Ages Fae to get to Changeling and how they relate to each other. I hope that some of these ideas are things that you'll be able to use in your games and that you kind of see the place that Dark Ages Fae might have in the canon of Changeling the Dreaming. It's certainly a pretty optional hook and not one that all fans of the game care for but it can be a rich source of ideas so thank you for listening to us talk about this odd little quarter of the canon and i hope that you join us again for our next conversation this has been walking away from arcadia 